So if you're saved here today, you know, you know that your name is in God's Lamb Book of Life and you're redeemed and you're saved. If you don't, if you're not saved, what I'll say to you to get onto it. Amen? Get onto it. Uh, don't delay. Don't delay. Get onto it. Well, it'll be a terrible day for you. It won't be a blessing. It'll be a, a terrible day. But for those that are saved by the blood of Christ, those that have put their faith in Him and Him alone and turned from their wicked ways and called on the Lord to save them from their sinful condition are those that are redeemed and bought with the blood and can enter in the kingdom of God. And my hope, my hope and prayer for you is uh, that you'd come to know the Lord. To know Him is to know life eternal. Well, what we're going to look at today is 1 Timothy chapter number 2 and verses 9 to 15. 1 Timothy chapter number 2 and verses 9 to 15, considering the fact that it is a Mother's Day, I thought to take an opportunity to direct this sermon to women, not just mothers, and that you'd know how to be godly women, amen, uh, by the grace of God. And uh, not only this, but men, you could just sit down and anticipate uh, the kind of condition that God wants you to have, not like Adam in the beginning, but rather have a leadership role that leads his wife and says no to those things that are not lawful before God. And so we need men today that will lead the homes, churches, that would honour God's word and, and, and stick with it. Verse 9, the Bible says in 1 Timothy chapter number 2, and verse 9, In like manner also that a woman adorned themselves in modest apparel, with shamefacedness and sobriety, not with broidered hair or gold or pearls or costly array, but, with, but which becometh women professing godliness with good works. Let the woman learn in silence with all subjection, but I suffer not a woman to teach nor serve authority over the man, but to be in silence. For Adam was first formed, then Eve, then Adam was not deceived, but the woman being deceived was in trans the transgression, notwithstanding, she shall be saved in childbearing if they continue in faith, in charity, holiness, with sobriety. Let's pray. Father in heaven, Lord God, we do come before you, Father, this morning and ask and pray that you would be with your people. Father, that they would not be influenced by the current culture of the world, dear God, and the woke movement in society and the feminists that are shouting out loud, Father, but rather that be moved by your word to know the order of God from the beginning of time. I pray that you'll teach all of us here today what it means to be in subjection in the fear of God. I pray that we would uh, submit ourselves one to another in the fear of God as we come under your word today. In Jesus' name, amen. As we look in 1 Timothy chapter number 2, we find Paul instructing a young preacher... Uh, simply to uh, address three classes of people in this chapter. First of all, he says to uh, pray for those that are in authority, all men that are in authority, that the Christians may live a peaceable life, that they be able to uh, uh, live out their faith without having any hindrance from the government. Not only this, but also that all men will come to the knowledge of the truth and be saved. He says to Timothy to pray for a class of people that don't know the Lord, for sinners. But also in verse 8, he says to Timothy that uh, men ought to pray uh, with holy hands, lifting up holy hands without wrath and doubting. And he instructs holy men to simply come before the Lord, not just any kind of men, but holy men that are separate from our current culture and society. And then verses 9 to 15, Paul addresses 
Christian women to be godly and submissive. And considering the fact that it is Mother's Day, I'll take it as an opportunity to use it as a stepping stone to encourage Christian women and to be everything that God has called you to be by his word and through his word. It's a lot easier, I would say, to preach this kind of message to women that are godly, amen? But it's so difficult to preach it to carnal, boisterous, loud women. But I'm comfortable in teaching it today to you in a way to instruct you and build you up in the faith concerning the fact that who's in our audience today. I, I appreciate women that are teachable and submissive to the word of God, love the Lord with all their heart, willing to come under the word of God and understand that God's way is best. I want to talk about two things, or two at least main things from our text. Number one, the character of a godly woman. And number two, the calling of a godly woman. We'll look at the first before I get into the message. I want to give a few disclaimers so we don't come to a miscommunication because, again, it's going to be, you know, uh, preaching against the current culture, the woke feminist movement, and there could be a lot of misunderstandings in the heart of even God's people because the society is really sowing seeds of doubt against God's order and ways. So a few points before I get into the message. Number one, women are not inferior to men. In other words, just because God has designed a different role and function uh, to a woman uh, or female. They're no lesser of a person than a man. They're not second-class citizens in the home or in the church. Okay, number two, women are not invaluable to men. In other words, women should not feel discriminated against just because God has given them a different function within their roles instructed to submit. Now, it's very important that we see God's, uh, you know, make or, you know, the way he designed the male and female different. Uh, they have different, uh, you know, uh, makes and different missions. And it's amazing to see how God elevates women in the Bible and has given them a significant purpose in life, as well as uh, in the ministry to their husbands and children. So we've got to understand here that we, we, women are not invaluable. They're, 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 God uses them, and he has used them in a very great way. We'll see that later on short in our message today. But let's look at the first, the character of a godly woman, verse 9. Paul is emphasizing that the inner beauty is more important than the outer appearance. This is what he's talking about in verse 9. He says, In like manner also that a woman adorned themselves in modest apparel, with shamefacedness, with sobriety, not with broided hair or gold or pearls or costly array. So number one, note this down if you're taking notes, a godly woman is not carnal. A godly woman should not focus all her attention on the outward appearance. Her main focus should be on the inner spiritual attitude. God's word gives us the details of how she should look like or what she should be focusing upon. And that's first of all, a godly woman should maintain modest apparel. The word adorn here means to decorate or dress, to put on in proper order. <clears throat> and so modest, modest clothing is clothing that is not over the top or extravagant or fancy, if you will. It does not draw attention to themselves in sexual or sensual or in a seductive manner. In our days, our society make clothing that are immoral, tight, short, and immodest and uh, undecent, you know, and revealing. This is our current culture. Uh, it's very hard for a woman to find something that is modest, and good, they have to look and keep looking and looking. Some of them have to make it themselves because it's very hard to find something in our current culture. Everything is immoral uh, or over the top. Warren Reesby said, modest clothing glorifies Christ. Extreme fashion only points to the person and make the Christian look worldly. It is possible for believer to be modern and still modest. 
and it's, it's possible, amen, even though it's very hard in our day. Modest is to be decent and orderly. A godly woman must not dress in a way to attract attention to herself, not cause others, and here it is, to stumble in any way, shape, or form. Number two, a godly woman should maintain modest apparel with shamefacedness. That's what it says. As you put on this modest apparel, as you, as you focus uh, simply to dress in a way that honors God, it must come with shamefacedness. Uh, this means to have a sense of respect and reverence. All right, she has to have a reverence about herself when, when she presents herself, not rude or crude, a boisterous or loud. When she dresses, she should have a respect and honor to God, others, and herself. A woman who opposes this quality is ashamed to go beyond. Uh, sorry, a woman who possesses this quality is shame, this face, shamefacedness, is ashamed to go beyond what is decent and respectable. She's ashamed. She, she doesn't want to go down that road. She, 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 she withdraws. It's not a temptation. It's actually something that she wants to practice. Uh, and uh, even though it's so hard, a godly woman, number three, should maintain modest power with shamefacedness. And the Bible says sobriety. That means having a sound mind, self-control attitude. In other words, she's sober and in control, not out of control. She'd be very aware of her attitude and her appearance. She should not be flippant or flamboyant. She's got it together. Amen. This is what he says. A man of God said sobriety describes an inner self-control, a spiritual radar that tells a person what is good and what is proper. So she's got it together. She's not, uh, you know, uh, silly or simple. She, she has discretion, wisdom. She's sound, sobriety. She knows and understands what's accepted by her and pursues it and follows after that which is right. Number four, a godly woman should maintain modest apparel, not with broided hair or gold or pearls or costly array. Now, again, like Peter, and we'll allude to that passage later on, uh, Paul's not simply saying that a woman cannot dress respectively uh, or nicely or, or look beautiful. Naturally, a woman is beautiful and she, she you know, in, in, in comparison to a man, she's not ought to be scruffy and out of order, but not over the top. Uh, not, you know, doing up herself with uh, a whole heap of makeup and uh, a whole heap of jewelry and and clothes that are just over the top and so forth, and, but rather dressing like, uh, you know, modest inner beauty is what he's simply wanting to come out here, like the wisdom of God tells us in Proverbs chapter 31 regarding the virtuous woman, that favor is deceitful, beauty is what? But one that feareth the Lord, shall she, she shall be what? Praise. So this is what Paul is simply alluding to, like Peter later on will see, that it, it, it's good to, to be presentable and modest, but not over the top and not sure, you know, focusing on the outward man, but more on the inner beauty, one that fears the Lord, one that is virtuous and honors God. First Peter chapter 3, we'll turn your Bibles there. Leave your finger there in First Timothy 2, and we'll come back to it. But we'll see what Peter says. I believe it's uh, significant to what we're talking about in respect of focusing on the inner beauty of a woman. And how God puts that to be more valuable than the outer appearance, which is uh, simply uh, focused on today. So verse 1, 1 Peter chapter number 3, the Bible says, Likewise ye, ye wives be in subjection, here's that word again, to your own husbands, that if any obey not the word, they also may, uh, without the word, be won by the conversation or the lifestyle he's talking about of the wives. While they behold your chaste conversation coupled with fear, 
Whose adorning let it not be, look at this. Whose adorning let it not be the outward adorning of what? Of plaiting of the hair, wearing of gold, or putting on of what? Apparel. Now, again, if we misunderstand what Paul or even Peter's saying here, would say, well, see, women ought not to put on clothes. No, he's, he's simply saying you're not the focus on the outward here. Of course you put on clothes, but don't let that be your supreme focus. What should be the supreme focus of a woman? And we pick it up in verse 4, but let it be the hidden man of the heart in that which is not corruptible, even, the, look at this, the ornament or the adorning, if you will, of a meek and quiet spirit, which is in the sight of God, a, a what? It's a great price. See what God values in a woman? That's what God values in a woman. And again, what God says in his wisdom, I believe women should pay attention to in Proverbs chapter 11, verse 22, the Bible says, a jewel of gold in a swine's snout, so is a fair woman, which is without what? Discretion. I want you to see this over here. Imagine putting a, a, a nice piece of uh, jewelry on a, on a pig, in, on, on the nose of a pig. Look how ugly that looks. That's so ugly, isn't it? It's disgusting. You know, that's, it's not, you know, and so it is. The wisdom of God is simply saying to us that a beautiful woman, and, uh, and, and thank God for beautiful women, amen, and, uh, but without discretion and without the inner beauty and the wisdom, that's how it looks like. That's how it looks like. So can you imagine a beautiful woman that possess, possesses wisdom and uh, this meek and quiet spirit that God wants her to be this modest woman with shamefacedness, with respect and honor to her God-given make. What a beautiful, you know, treasure. So it's, it's a, a virtuous woman who can find. Now, God is not saying that she cannot be found, but it's very rare, and it's very rare, even for men today, faithful men that love the Lord, it's very rare. I was saying to Nikita today, driving to church, I said, listen, it's very hard to find faithful men today that will stick with it. I mean, people are faithful to their sports, the gadgets, hobbies, this, that, but when it comes to God, when it comes to their God-given responsibilities and everything that God wants them to be, somehow they're flippant with those things. Uncommitted. Lack diligence and passion passionate about all other things well god wants the woman to be passionate about the inner beauty not necessarily the outer beauty number two a godly woman is spiritual not only carnal look at verse 10 and first timothy 2 but which becometh women professing godliness with good works a spiritual godly woman is god fearing who lives out her christian virtues she should be busy fulfilling her god-given responsibility in wherever fashion and form or context that woman simply uh, uh, is. For example, whether she's a single woman under her parents and her parents' authority, whether she's a married woman under her husband, whether she's you know, a widowed woman uh, you know, within the church, whatever context it is, whatever God-given responsibility that God has given to you within the scriptures, you need to submit yourself to that, we should never undermine or underestimate the important place that godly women play in the ministry and in the home. They're valuable. They are valuable. I, I, you know, if the Lord were to take my wife for whatever reason and leave me with these eight kids, I would say I, I could probably got to be praying and let you say, listen, be praying about 
I don't know what I'm going to do. I mean, the, the, the load that she takes on is enormous. And I'm so thankful uh, for her contribution and, 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 and her, uh, her, her help meet responsibilities in those areas so I can fulfill the very things that God has committed to me and given the responsibility to me. I don't expect my wife to be a preacher. As a matter of fact, the Bible says she ought not to. We'll get there in a moment, amen. Her place is in the home. Oh, that's a bit old-fashioned and that's a bit, you know, um, we'll, I'll get there later. But let, let me just say, she needs to know her responsibilities and, and, and do good works in the realm in which she, she has been called. Uh, again, on at least two occasions, we see women worship the Lord with expensive perfume. A woman that was called a sinner, and we see Mary as well, Martha's sister. They came with expensive ointment, worshipping the Lord. I mean, I don't know about you, but worshipping the Lord and being at his feet is a great honour. Should not never be underestimated. In Romans chapter 16, we have at least eight women that Paul calls out by name and thanking them for their labor and ministry in the gospel. About eight women. Lydia, on the day of her conversion, wanted to be in the ministry of hospitality. She wanted uh, Paul and his crew to come to her house so she can serve them. It was a woman, I want to, I want to remind you, that nursed our Savior, Jesus Christ. It was a woman. It was a woman that was the first to be at the tomb. It was a woman. I thank God for my mother. I really do. I thank God for godly mothers that care about the things of God. Uh, it's been said, uh, if women have mastered men for evil, they have also mastered them for good. We gladly make declaration that some of the fairest and most fragrant flowers that grow in the garden of God and some of the sweetest and most luscious fruit that ripens in God's spiritual orchards are, they, uh, are, are there because of women's faith, women's love, women's prayer, women's virtue, women's tears, women's devotion to Christ. The right kind of mother can make a big difference in the home, in the church and in our country. Evangelist Billy Sunday once said, I don't think that there are even devils in hell. Uh, uh, sorry, he says, I don't think there are enough devils in hell to search and take a young person from the arms of a godly mother. Imagine a godly mother rearing up a child for the glory of God, focusing on nurturing her children. The Bible says in Psalm 16, 6, the lions are fallen under me in a pleasant place. Yea, uh, I have a goodly heritage. The Apostle Paul acknowledged the fact that his mother and grandmother played a significant role in his, in his Christian faith. Uh, 2 Timothy chapter 1, uh, Paul says, Greatly desiring to see thee, being mindful of thy tears, that I may be filled with joy when I call to remembrance the unfeigned faith that is in thee, which dwelt first in thy grandmother Lois, and my mother Eunice, and I'm persuaded that is in thee also. What a, thank God for a godly heritage, amen? Gra praying grandmothers. It's amazing how many people we meet on the street, and they say, oh, my grandmother's been praying for me. You sound like my grandma. <laughs> yeah, it's amazing. It's amazing. Uh, and uh, you just want to, like the Apostle Paul, build upon that, build upon that. And, uh, and look, Timothy, a fine young man. I didn't have to go into the world to taste the scum 
of it to become a godly man. Amen. Thank God for mothers who are firm in their faith, convictions, prayers, and their love for their children. <clears throat> mothers like that ought to be praised and thanked continually. Proverbs 31, 28, her children rise up and call her what? Blessed. If you're one of those people who have a special privilege of being called a mum, I hope you will be understanding the impression and influence that you have on your family, church, and your, in your country. One godly woman can make a difference in her sphere in, of influence. A, a godly woman that focuses on, her, on, on the things of God, the eternal things, will make a difference. There's an old Spanish proverb that reads, an ounce of a mother is worth more than a pound of clergy. Mate, what a proverb, 31 woman uh, that just loves God, fears God, and serves God, compares to a whole heap of clergy and scribes that are full of themselves. What God can do in a godly woman. May God give us mothers that will keep fighting the good fight of faith and not give up or give in by the grace of God. May God give us women who spend more time sitting uh, at the feet of Jesus, looking in the mirror of his word, instead of uh, uh, simply spending time standing and looking into the mirrored um, uh, uh, wall. There's a big difference. How much time you spend in this book and how much time you spend looking in the mirror, pampering your face and seeing and turning and all the rest of it. I've got a rule that men should be looking in mirrors maybe less than 10 seconds, amen? Uh, maybe a little bit more if you've got hair, amen? <laughs> Men, just look and get out of there. You know, stop looking and going like this and, you know, and all the rest of it. And just, you know, ladies may take a little bit longer, but you know, you know what I'm talking about. The focus of, of, of the vanity of man is rampant. I focus on this. The bodily exercise and going to the gym and spending efforts and time on the physical, more on the spiritual is rampant today. How much time do you spend on the spiritual elements of your Christian life, more on the physical? You calculate it and see how we fall short. We need more men and women to spend time in the book and in God's word, being what God would have us to be. Amen? Number two, not only the character of a godly woman, but number two, the calling of a godly woman. Verses 11 to 12, let the woman learn in silence with all subjection. But I suffer not a woman to teach nor to serve authority over the man, but to be in silence. Now, this is said to be one of the most controversial passages in, the, in, in our, in our, Christi in our Christ Christendom. And it's not even controversial. It's plain and simple, as we're going to see the context. There's nothing controversial about it. It's really simple if you just believe the word of God and honor his God-divine order. So first of all, we see, number one, a godly woman has called to have a teachable spirit. The Bible says here, let the woman learn in what? Silence. Now some writers have accused Paul of having a power trip, who were anti-woman, if you will, those of us who hold to the inspired word of God, understand that the scriptures are given by the inspiration of God, so Paul was speaking under the authority of God. And we'll come and see later on that this wasn't a new teaching that was put in place, it was divine teaching right from the beginning. So, but please understand, to learn in silence doesn't mean a woman cannot talk or ask questions or she should, uh, you know, or share with others or she should just shut her mouth. It doesn't mean that at all. 
You know, women are not uh, treated like dogs like they did in some cultures and, 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 and even in the Roman uh, days. As a matter of fact, the Bible elevates women. But when it comes to this learning in submission uh, to be uh, under the word of God, uh, this is where the woman ought to be teachable and, and perking her ears and saying, what does God want me to know and hear? It's not that a woman cannot say anything in the church. This is uh, misguided by some and absolutely construed. However, when it comes to the authority in divine teaching and the ruling and headship, she must know her place and sit and learn, listen, quietly, peaceably. That's what the Bible is simply saying. 1 Corinthians 14, let your women keep silence in the churches, for it is not permitted unto them to speak, but they are commanded to be under obedience, as also says the law. And if they will learn, look at this, when it comes to learning, this is what we're talking about. We should have a teachable spirit when it comes to learning. Let them ask their husbands at home, for it is a shameful woman to speak in the church. Now you've got a husband, well, you're under his authority. He's a godly man, you ask him questions. Somehow, perhaps the, uh, the man of the house is, he, he doesn't know the answer to that. He might go up to the pastor and say, what do you think about this? Uh, what, what's, what passages uh, can you help me with this? Do you have any studies regarding this? Or what have you? And, 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 and what a delight to show people from the Word of God how to have our home in order or how to have the church in order and why do we do this and do that. And so a woman ought to sit and learn quietly. Now, a woman named Priscilla, along with her husband, Aquila encouraged the preacher named Apollos. Now, there's, no, there's nothing wrong with a lady, along with her husband, encouraging people. There's nothing wrong with that. In Acts chapter 18, verse 26, And he, Apollos, began to speak boldly in the synagogue, whom when Aquila and Priscilla had heard, they took him unto them and expounded unto him the way of God more perfectly. They both explained the things of the gospel in a complete and perfect manner. Now, this doesn't mean, this is not a go-to verse to undermine Paul the Apostle. It doesn't mean now all of a sudden Priscilla's the head of the house and that she can rule her husband in the polis. No. A woman can speak and, and, and simply encourage others and be a testimony of God's grace. Just the other day, my uh, wife was encouraging a young man to think on these things, whatsoever, be pure and, and so forth. And, and there's nothing wrong with that. But to lead and to be overbearing and rule, outspoken, is wrong. You can encourage, especially outside of that which is known to be an authority. It's a shameful woman to stand behind the pulpit and teach like a man, and a man sit under her. It's, it's, not, it's out of order. It's a shame. You read 1 Corinthians 11. It's not how God designed it. Number two, godly woman has a submissive spirit. Have a look in verse 11. Let the woman learn in silence with all what? What's that word? Subjection. It's not a dirty word, mind you. It's, a, it's God's word. It's not a dirty word. Submission is the key to a spiritual... Uh, life, uh, spiritual growth and Christian maturity, it's a mark of a godly woman. The opposite is true. To learn with all subjection simply means that a godly woman should obey what she's been taught. That's what it means. To obey what she's been taught. She's to submit to what is being taught from the Word of God. She's not to undermine the Word of God or those that are teaching her, her husband or maybe even elders or pastors or preachers within the church. She ought not to challenge and undermine and fight against Bible truth. She ought to submit and come under, place herself under. She ought not to be outspoken, if you will. 
A man of God once says to be in subjection literally means to be uh, to rank under. Anyone who has served in the armed forces <clears throat> knows that rank has to do with order and authority, not with value or ability. Yeah, are there women that could simply teach and, and make decisions more, you know, with more competence than a man? Yeah, probably. But that doesn't mean you play out of your rank and, and this, this you know, gives you uh, any reason to violate the word of God and, and take the rule. No, not at all. As a matter of fact, if a godly woman ought to pray for a husband that's not leading and, 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 and just with a few words encourage him and, 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 and pray and so forth to be the man that God's called him to be, not to take his place. Respecting the order of God does not mean women are less valuable than men or that men are a higher class citizen than women. I said that in the disclaimer. We need to say it again to understand. It doesn't mean that at all. It's because our current society tries to throw that on us and try to influence us in that, in that way. It doesn't mean that that's just the way it is. It's not. Well, I don't look down at my wife because she's got a different make and she has to submit to me. There's no, no. Do you think a God looks down at his son because he's under God the Father? No. He elevates his son. And you know, true men, godly men, elevate uh, the woman. They love her and they cherish her. Now, I'm not preaching to men, but this is what we're supposed to be doing. Uh, Ephesians 5 says it best. You know, love your wife's husband as Christ loved the church. And he what? He gave himself for it. He gave himself. He loved her. He loved the church. He served the church. He came to minister to her. It's disgraceful to see men abuse their authority and think they can push women around. It's disgraceful. God has given the authority to men to lead, not to lord. To direct, not to dictate. To teach, not to terrorize. And if we understand what that means, then we'll understand the right order of God and there'll be harmony in the home. Submission is recognizing God order, God's order in the home and in the, choice, in, in the church and joyfully obeying it. When a Christian wife joyfully submits, it should bring, bring out the God's best in her. That's what it should bring out, God's best in her. Now, how does a godly woman in context, exercise this submissive and teachable spirit. Look at verse 12. Have a look. But I suffer not a woman to teach nor to serp authority over the man, but to be in what? Silence. Again, one of the best ways that she could be submissive is to be submissive to a God-given role. It's not God's will that she teach or serps authority over a man. This is not God how, this is not how he placed it. Women are to be in silence by not trying to teach the man and demonstrate simply authority over a man or rule their husbands or rule in the church. In simple terms, don't take the place or role of a man. A woman has been called to lead uh, in a way that we'll see later on in the last verse that honors God. Have you ever heard, let me just say this, have you ever heard men say, uh, well, my wife wears the pants in the home. You ever heard that slogan before? You ever heard that? Have you ever heard women say, well, I've got, to, I've got to check with the boss. I've heard that many times. Well, let me find out with the boss. Now, there's a, cu a couple of issues there why that slogan's come about. You say they do it in a very, you know, jokeful manner. But uh, let me say, some jokes are true. They might be sarcastic, but it's true. Now, here's the thing. It's either the women or the men have simply abused this slogan, 
when they say, let me check with the boss. You know, some women just want communication. That's all they're wanting. They don't want to rule. They just want their husbands to communicate. And so the husband makes this, let me check with the boss. She doesn't want to be the boss. She just wants you to communicate. She's not saying anything about, you know, whatever. So that could be a problem. But on the other hand, the problem can also be that she is the boss. She wants to rule. She wants to take that authority. He's communicating the best that he can. And she says, no, we're not doing that. Oh. And all of a sudden the man cowers and the slogan is born or the slogan is born for the lack of communication thereof. Either way, people believe the lie and that's what takes place. And they come under it. And our society now gets used to it. I, I just sometimes cringe when I go to uh, weddings and I hear those marital jokes. Marital, I know they're just joking, but it's just, you're setting, I'm not going to repeat them here today, I don't have time, but you're setting yourself up for a big four to joke like that because you'd believe those jokes. You know, one of them is alluded to the fact that a man can never understand a woman. Well, that's rubbish. The Bible says dwell according to knowledge. You can. You can learn to understand. You can learn to love what she likes and dislikes and dwell according to knowledge and understand what she wishes and hopes and all, all she's asking. You can learn, but the moment you believe that lie is you become a statistic. You'll be putting yourself under that. Let me just say, Though there might be an element of truth, a woman has not been called to be uh, the head of the home or the pastor of the church or teach a man at home or to preach in the church. It's forbidden. The Bible is very clear. And you say, why do we have so many women preaching or pastoring churches and leading homes? And it's one word. What's the answer? One word. Starts with R. Rebellion. That's what it is. You can say, well, it's a lack of teaching and it's ignorance, okay, but when it comes to teaching and when you know better, it's pure rebellion. We'll say well, it's for a good cause. We're not talking about people having good causes or you know, know how to have the gift of the gab and know how to make decisions better than a man. We're not talking about incompetence. We're talking about function, roles, order of God. And so, you know, why does God place restrictions or limitation on a woman's role? Uh, why can't a woman teach or lead a man in the home or preach or pastor a church in a very authoritative way? Well, we see it in verse 13. Number one, it's based upon God's design. It's the design of God. Verse 13, for Adam was first formed, then who? Eve. This wasn't a new teaching that Paul was simply introducing. This was a teaching that God introduced right from the very beginning with two people. This is the order of God, the design of God, the institution of God in the home and also in the church. This is how God ordained it. God created Adam to be the head of his wife and that the wife will complete him or be his helpmate. She ought to be a completer and not a competitor. In Genesis 2.18, the Lord God said, it's not good that a man should be alone, but I'll make him a helpmate for him. And the Lord God, in verse 21, called the deep sleep to fall upon Adam. And he slept and he took one of his ribs and closed up the flesh instead thereof. And the rib which the Lord God had taken from man made he a woman and, and brought her under the man. And Adam said, this is now bones of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She, she uh, shall be called, look at, woman, 
because she was taken out of a man. That's how God formed and fashioned a woman. God made Adam from the dust of the ground, breathed in his nostrils, became a living soul, caused Adam to sleep, took one of his rib, out of Adam come a woman. And God uh, has male and female joined together to become one flesh. And this is what we're taught. We, we don't have uh, uh, three, four, five, or a hundred genders. We only have two genders. And those genders have roles that God has detailed for them to simply play. So those who justify that a woman can be a pastor or a leader man say that, you know, Paul was speaking to Timothy because the culture that they were living in, this is what they say, I don't know where they get it from, uh, but the culture that they were living in, there were women that were trying to teach, but they were novices, they didn't know the Bible. And there were other women that were trying to teach but they were loud and boisterous and rebels and they weren't simply submissive. And so a woman, if she was knowledgeable and under a man and she could then teach and preach, she could lead the home as long as she's submissive under the man and the man kind of oversees that and says, okay, you're being a good leader now, you're being a good shepherd, you're being a good uh, whatever it is. But that's not what the text is saying. The text is saying it's something very, very clear that right from the beginning, the order of God or the design of God was this way. And, and brethren, that's what, the, that's what the attack is on. The attack is not on preachers that stand for the truth. The attack is not for godly men in the home that are trying to continue to maintain their God-given position. Listen to me very carefully. The attack is on God's order. It's always been on God's order. The attack is on God. And if you bend or buck or you give in, guess what? The devil has simply uh, you know, fulfilled the very thing that he's trying to accomplish in the home and in churches. To undo everything that God puts in place. And when you give in to that, we have chaos. The order of headship is repeated in 1 Corinthians 11 verse 3. He says, but I would have you know that the head of every man is who? Christ. And the head of the woman is who? And the head of Christ is who? It's repeated in, in, in 1 Corinthians uh, 11 verse 3. It's there. There's authority of headship. Is Christ any less than God? No. We know that the triune God or the Godhead that we have a more biblical term for it, the Godhead of one. That... that have different what? Functions. That's all it is. That's all it is. And Christ was obedient. He came under. He was submissive to the will of God the Father in the Godhead. And he did everything that God said for him to do. Here's the example that we should follow. I mean, if there's any example that we should look at, it's Christ. Christ is our example. He wasn't a rebel. He wasn't, he wasn't uh, taken, if you will, uh, or deceived or any way or form or fashion. No, he, he knew. He was sober. He had, he, had, he had it together and he was under the God order. And the qualifications of the pastor is very clear in the next chapter. Chapter number three says, this is a true saying. If a man desire the office of a bishop, he desire a good work. A bishop then must be blameless, the wife of one husband. Does it say that? Now you wish it were. Some wish uh, it said that, didn't it? What does it say? The husband of one wife. 
It's very clear that a bishop or a pastor or an overseer is a man. It's very clear. It's not a woman. He has to have his life uh, and wife in order. She has to come under him. She needs to be grave. He has to have his children in order as well. Come under him and obey and, and submit and, and so forth. He needs to play the leader in the home. That's what God calls men, especially pastors, to be. God has never called a woman to take that role. Never. It's God's design, folks. You go against God's design, you go against God's word. And that's the truth of the matter. And back then, God tells us, for Eve it wasn't rebellion, for Adam it was. This is the second reason why she can't have the role of a, a leader or teacher or super authority in a very divine manner. Because number two, based upon the deception of Eve, not only her design but her deception, look at verse 14. And Adam was not deceived, but the woman being deceived was in what? Transgression. See, Eve was easily deceived and led astray. See, the devil knew who to go to, right? He didn't go to Adam, did he? Who did he go to? He went to Eve. And he challenged Eve with God's word. Did God really say? He didn't go to Adam. Adam knew what he was supposed to do. Adam knew what was going on. The word translated deceived means to beguile. It means to trick and completely... Uh, 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 Taken in. She was completely taken thinking that perhaps she was even doing good by, by taking by the fruit of the tree. Listen, what's the difference today, brethren? You, uh, you tell me, what's the difference today with these people saying, well, isn't Joyce Meyer doing good? Look at the people that she's reaching. You know how she's affected my life? <laughs> Are you serious? You're deceived. And men, are and, and men are disobedient and fearful and cowards. That's what they are today. Have no spiritual backbone. Oh, Charlie, haven't you heard? Happy wife, happy life. You understand if I uh, uh, simply anger her or don't do what she says, I'll be sleeping on the couch. Don't, don't you understand that there'll be no more affection? Don't you understand that I won't hear the end of it throughout the day? Be the man! You know, Adam, you should have been the man when she went to give you the fruit. You should have said no. We're not supposed to do that, Eve. And it was amazing how the four could have given her that ruling over her husband because the Bible says that she took and ate and says, here you go, Adam, eat. Eat. But he wasn't deceived. He disobeyed. He knew what he was doing. He wasn't tricked or beguiled. He wasn't taken for a ride. And this doesn't mean that men can't be deceived because we know in 2 Corinthians chapter 11 that Paul speaks to the Corinthians collectively saying, hey, listen, don't let the devil deceive you like he deceived Eve, beguiled her. Don't let him beguile you having these false teachers come into the church. Another spirit, another gospel, another Jesus. And that's what we have today, brethren. The majority of churches that have women preachers are preaching another Jesus, another spirit, another gospel. That's what, that, the majority of them, and for those good churches that have allowed women to come and stand behind the pulpit and preach with authority, are cowards and disobedient. Not beguiled, cowed and disobedient, going with the flow of the culture of the Christendom. 
Well, don't you ever dare to preach like this, Charlie. Now you're going to become one of these, you know, uh, male chauvinist pigs. And it's got nothing to do with that. It's nothing to do with that. As a matter of fact, you, you stand back and you say, well, Titus says, let the older woman teach the younger woman. Isn't this the place for women to teach women about their roles? What are you doing preaching? I'm preaching to the church collectively. The preacher, Timothy, ought to teach the church collectively about the God-given roles because there lies the authority. There lies God, thus saith the Lord, with authority. And that's why God had it in order this way. To not undermine the authority of God, meant to be bold and preaching the word of God. Although Eve was deceived, she still sinned. God put the responsibility of the fall on Adam, not Eve. However, Eve did not escape the consequence of her sin. The word transgression carries the idea, someone said, is stepping aside or overstepping. That is what Eve, Eve did. She stepped over a forbidden boundary created by God. She transgressed. She, 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 she went above the limit, if you will, above the limit of God's word. In her deception, she failed to submit to her husband. And perhaps, perhaps after, like I mentioned, after the fall, she became more corrupted and began to rule over her husband. We see it here very clearly in verse 6. And when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was pleasant to the eyes and a tree to be desired to make one wise, she took of the fruit thereof and did eat and gave also unto her husband uh, with her and he did eat. Well, she wasn't that wise, did she? she? She fell and was exposed. Adam would have simply eaten for who knows whatever reason. You know, the dialogue between her and the serpent was, was something to be considered because it was part of her deception. And again, let me just say this to you, and I think I have a bit more time to elaborate on this. But let me say this to you, the deception carried an indifference toward the Word of God. A twisting of Scripture by the devil, and that's what the devil does. He twists scripture to deceive people and that's what they do with our text what he did in the garden is taking place today exactly twisting of the scriptures to undermine the word of god and the order of god and we can see it very clearly if you want in genesis chapter 3 have a look actually go to genesis chapter 2 first and then we'll go to genesis chapter 3 i want you to see something there i want you to notice that god listen commanded Adam about the tree, the forbidden tree in the midst of the garden before he ever made Eve. So we understand from this that Adam, and we're assuming, would have taught Eve that, you know what, Eve, we can freely eat from every single tree, even that one in the midst of the garden, that's the knowledge, uh, the, 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 the one that's the tree of life, but that tree right there, that one there, see it? That one there. Don't, don't Eat from that tree. Because the moment you eat from that tree, Eve, look at, look at, you will surely die. Don't eat. Somehow, Eve was given the knowledge. But I say that the devil, 
continue to undermine the word of God in order to deceive her. And I want you to see it. Look at verse 16 of Genesis chapter 2. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying of every tree of the garden, thou mayest, look at, look at that word, look at that, look at that word, don't miss it, freely eat. You know what that gives us an idea of God's goodness? God's blessed us. Every tree, the tree of, uh, you know, the, the, the tree of life and every other sort. What a, thank you, God. But that one there, that's the cursed tree that will kill you. Don't touch that, or don't eat from that. Let's continue to read verse 17. But the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, thou shalt not eat of it. For in the day that thou eatest thereof, thou shalt what? Does it say thou shalt die? Thou shalt surely die. That's, this is here where we find an authoritative warning, something that would completely take place. It's not maybe, it will happen. It's going to happen. It will happen. God's not going to renege and lie. No, this is going to happen. And have a look at verse uh, 1 of chapter 3. Now the serpent was more subtle than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said unto the woman, Yea, hath God said, Ye shall not eat of every tree of the garden? Yeah, see, he, he actually approached Eve with a question. Did God really say? In other words, God didn't really say. Now, I would say that she perhaps learnt it from her husband, and he, he was probably trying to undermine her husband's instruction where he got it from God. Did God really say or even if she did get it directly from God and God told Eve, just as he told Adam, uh, don't eat, you'll surely die. Either way, he tried to undermine the word of God. Did God really say, oh, second guess God's word? And by the way, let me just stop here and say, what do you think the modern versions do, brethren? The twisting of scripture, the, the, uh, the taking away of verses and words, you know, the little footnotes and so forth and on and on and on is for you to have doubt regarding God's word, did God really say that? Did God really say this? The devil's always at work trying to undermine the word of God. That's how he deceives people. So he does it. He tried to deceive Jesus when he was tempted in the wilderness to throw himself off the pinnacle by twisting the book of Psalms. He left some things out. And thank God for the wisdom of the Son of God. He knew and understood that thou shalt not tempt the Lord thou God. We don't test God like that. We don't put him to the test. And so, by the way, to overcome, if you will, the deception of Satan by the twisting of Scripture is to know the Scriptures yourself and understand what they say. A lot of people understand that you need to interpret the Bible, uh, you know, uh, grammatically and, and historically. I understand that. But, te uh, but contextually, knowing what the context says and, and comparing spiritual things in Scripture is so important. A lot of people on clear passages of Scripture want to go historically. Historically is not needed when something is so clear and direct and something that God taught in the beginning. It's not needed. I don't need your extra uh, you know, eloquence so-called to tell me what the Bible is not saying. You're saying that. The Bible's not saying that. The Bible's very clear on his teaching on this subject. You can't miss it. You only read into the text when you want to undermine the order and the word of God. 
That's what people do. We need to be very careful that we don't do, in other, do this in other areas. But I want, let's continue to read. He said, Have, uh, Now the serpent was more subtle than any beast of the field which the Lord God made. And said of the woman, Have God said, Ye shall not eat of every tree of the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, We may, look at this, eat. Did she say freely eat? No, she said, we may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden. Now, I would say, I'm not, I'm not going to make a big deal out of this. I'm just saying, it, I'm assuming that this was perhaps left out to undermine the goodness of God in some way. Like it was just a casual, we can eat from every tree of the garden. Yeah, freely. Like, is it a light thing that God is blessing you? Isn't it a blessing? Now, again, I'm not going to make something that you know, it may not be expounded or taught by God, but it, it seems that she left freely, the word freely from this, and says we can eat from the fruit of the tree of the garden. But verse 3, but of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God said, ye shall not eat of it, neither shall ye touch it, lest ye die. Now there's no surely here. Now again, I'm not going to read into the text and say maybe it could be that she's saying exactly what she heard. But again, it could be undermining what is directive, warning from God that would happen. Verse 4, and the serpent said unto the woman, look at this, you shall not surely die. You should not surely die? Well, it looks like the devil put surely there, didn't he? You should not surely, you're not going to really die. God, God's not going to really judge you. You're not going to be cursed. For God know, for God doth know in the day that you eat thereof, your eyes shall be opened, and you shall be as God's knowing good from evil. God knows. Well, the twisting of scripture. Unbelievable. And what Eve and what Satan did to the word of God back then is no different today. You know why God doesn't put women in leadership? That's one of the reasons. She's easily misled. She's the weaker vessel. She may be more emotional. It's her make. It's, it's a design that God made her. Should, by the way, never be played on by men in any way or shape or fashion, but rather nurtured, not played on. Just as much as she's a completer to you, you ought to love her and respect her, as First Peter chapter 3 says, unless given her honor to the weaker vessel, lest your prayers be hindered, lest your relationship with God will be distorted. If there's anything that the devil tries to do in the home, is he tries to break up marriages. Because if he breaks up marriages, our listen to me, our churches are weak. Strong marriages, strong homes, strong churches. That's a reality. I've got to ask the boss. No, I want to, I want to communicate with my beloved wife because I love her and I want to tell her, what do you think about this? I love getting some good valued opinions from my life. As a matter of fact, some decisions that I've made have come for, from her wisdom. What, you think they don't have any wisdom? Come on. Sometimes the man is the go-getter and she gets you to pull back and think. <laughs> Take it easy. Okay, well, yeah. 
Sometimes, not all the time, they're a help me, but not to take your place. They nurture what God is doing in your life and, and, and preaching the word. They don't want to take your place in preaching or teaching. My wife was an uh, English teacher, and I was very bad at English. And so in our honeymoon, and, uh, and you know, she proofreads my sermons and stuff like that, some of them, not all of them. She says, you're getting better. How can I say this better or that word or, you know, is that a run on? And I'm trying to learn English again from her. Well, you think I'm going to be so dogmatic? You can't teach me. <laughs> oh, I ask her questions and she, she, she helps me. She's my helpmate. <laughs> but she doesn't take authority over me. She doesn't try to undermine my authority. Does she struggle in that area like all women? Of course. That's why the command is to come under <laughs> All women struggle, but a godly woman comes under and realizes it's teachable and understandable about her make and is not going to be simply deceived by our woke feminist society and says, you know what, I'm going to put God back in his place in my life. And you know what will happen? Look at the last verse as we close. Verse 15. Notwithstanding, she shall be saved in childbearing. How? Well, first of all, before we go to the how, what does that mean? What a wonderful responsibility and privilege it is to have a woman able to lead the home and the children and to nurture them and to rule over them and to teach them. Women can teach children. And by the way, women can teach other women. You just go to Titus chapter number two. We'll see that in a moment before we close. But this is the very thing that God has given them as a responsibility. This is the way they lead and guide. This is their authorities in the home. Under her husband. And what a beautiful thing that is to come under God's design. Let me tell you, you'd be the most rejoicing uh, Christian godly woman you would ever be when you come under God's design. Look at, look at, if, look at this, if what? They continue in what? Faith, charity, holiness, sobriety. Her conduct and her character makes a difference in her calling. You know, a woman can teach and, 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 and lead her children, her, her uh, you know, God-given tremendous responsibility privilege to nurture the home and also other women. Have a look at Titus chapter 2, verse 1 to 5. But speak thou the things which become sound doctrine... You say, is this a doctrine? Absolutely. This is a doctrine that uh, Paul taught Timothy and Titus to teach the church that the aged women be sober, grave, temperate, sound in what? Faith and in charity, in patience. The aged woman, likewise, that they be behavior has become a what? Holiness. Not false accusers, not giving them much wine, teachers of good things, and maybe teach the younger woman to be what? Sober, to what? To love their husbands, to love their children, to be discreet, chaste, keepers of the home, good, obedient to their own husbands, that the word of God be not what? You want to uphold the word of God in your life in a woke, wicked society? Then just do it God's way. Honor God in a wicked society. You know, you see people come out of the world and they look at the Christian home that is living like a Christian and they say, wow. And now they don't have everything in order. They're, they're growing in that, but they have God things in order. 
They're growing in the very things that God has instituted in the home. And you know what? They love it. They're not bucking or kicking against it. They love it. They love it to be this way. They love it. There is no way a woman can ever fulfill her calling to God and be under the design of God if she is not nurturing her character to be a godly woman, a holy woman, a woman of faith, a woman that believes God and fears God. There's no way. You know why we have so many people that are just playing out of their roles in churches and homes? Because they don't know what it means to be godly and holy. They don't know what it means to be modest and shamefacedness and have sobriety. They don't know what it means to be faith-filled and honoring God. That's why you see a schism in homes and churches and rebellion rampant. Because their character is not God-honoring. Favor is deceitful. Beauty is vain. But one that fears the Lord, she shall be praised. And Solomon said it best. What's the whole duty of man, my friend? To fear God and keep his commandments. May God give us the grace, every single one of us, to keep in line with God's word and God's order, not to be deceived, not to be disobedient, but to honor God. Yes, we fail. Yes, we fall short at times, but our heart and minds should be in line with the Spirit of God and the Word of God and the design of God. So when we fall and fail, we're back up again and saying, God, help me become everything that you've called me to be as a woman, as a godly woman, as a godly man. Yeah, this, this message is not to hit you over the head and say you failed in the past. This, this message is to encourage you to pick it up if you have and go on for the Lord. Go on. You say, well, fail. Get up and go. Do things God's way. What's the joy of the heart? Well, the joy of the rejoicing of your heart. No man in the Bible, from Genesis to Revelation, ever, ever failed to have the joy of the Lord when he did it God's way. Never. The joy of the Lord is my strength. A just man falls seven times, but he gets up again. We need to get up and go in this wicked, woke society and say, I'm not doing it the world's way, I'm doing it God's way. Amen? Amen. Let's pray.